welcome to the FDI podcast. I'm Alex Owen Hunt, Global Markets Editor at FDI Intelligence. Welcome to the fifth episode of Fortress FDI, our mini-series about rising investment scrutiny and protectionism, where we speak to legal experts around the globe to discover how the coronavirus pandemic has made foreign investment very sensitive in many different countries. You can follow us on iTunes, Acast or Spotify, and please subscribe so you can access more episodes in the future. In the last episode, my colleague Jacopo explored tightening FDI rules in Germany. But in this episode, we travel across the English Channel to the UK. With the coronavirus pandemic leaving many UK businesses in a vulnerable state, on June 23rd, the UK government laid amendments to its Enterprise Act of 2002, effectively giving it more powers to intervene in foreign investment. Upon the announcement, UK Business Secretary Alex Sharma said the UK is open for investment but not for exploitation. As we approach the completion of the UK's transition period away from the European Union at the end of this year, what will these new FDI rules mean in practice for foreign investors and UK companies? Joining me down the line to discuss is Mark Israel, a partner in White and Case's global antitrust practice based in London. Welcome to the show, Mark. Good morning, Alex. Thank you for having me on your podcast. So, Mark, in your opinion, what are the most relevant changes brought in by this recent reform to the UK's Enterprise Act? The recent changes to the Enterprise Act relate to the ability for the government to intervene in cases which raise public interest considerations. And there are two main changes um, of interest. I mean, the first one is that under the Enterprise Act, the government is able to specify new grounds um, that potentially raise public interest considerations. So at the moment, we have national security, media plurality, and stability of the financial system, the last one having been introduced after the last financial crash in 2008. And we've seen a mirror image of that to a certain extent with recent changes brought in as a result of COVID because there's now a new public interest consideration relating to the ability to combat and mitigate the effects of a public health emergency. So the the range of cases that the government can intervene in is now wider. So that's the first point. The second point is that the government, as part of perhaps a more or a wider general trend of proliferation of reviews of foreign direct investment rules, is that the government has lowered the thresholds at which it can intervene in specific cases relating to artificial intelligence, advanced materials and cryptographic authentication. So the changes announced recently really are are, are twofold, as I've just described. Pick up on your point about the threshold at which the UK government can intervene in cases. Where was the former threshold? Where is it now? And what does that mean in practice for foreign investors? The, The UK's regime is based on the merger control regime. So the government can intervene, save in very exceptional circumstances, only where the transaction would be subject to merger control review, and for which there are two tests. The first one is whether the target has UK turnover of £70 million or more. And the second one, and apologies because it's a little bit complicated, is where the parties um, overlap 
and together account for more than 25 percent uh, you could call it a 25% market share, but that's sort of not not quite right. But for, for current purposes, let's call it market share. So there needs to be some overlap, um, which results in that 25% being reached or exceeded. So the changes and the lower thresholds um, have reduced the turnover limb from 70 million pounds to 1 million pounds. So that is really considerably lower. And in relation to the 25% threshold, um, rather than there being an overlap, um, the test can now apply if the target alone um, has 25% or more. So there's no need anymore for the parties to overlap. So it really has brought a wider range of potential deals within the scope for review um, on public interest grounds. What is the feeling amongst your clients to the new approach of the UK government and lower threshold? Are they seeing the UK as a less attractive place for investment? It's a very good question. And one of the things perhaps to mention at the outset is that unlike many other jurisdictions um, in the UK, if these thresholds are met, there's no obligation to notify the government and to seek approval. Rather, the government has the ability to intervene in cases. And so clients are, are certainly considering FDI issues, both in the UK and indeed around the world, with much more care because there are uh, a wider number of jurisdictions that now have FDI rules. Many of them have either introduced or changed rules um, recently, particularly in relation to, or as a response to uh, coronavirus, but also as part of a growing trend um, in certain areas, uh, for example, critical infrastructure, uh, businesses that have access to a lot of data. So in some senses, they are, clients are considering um, the nature of the targets they are looking at and whether or not those are going to trigger or might trigger um, an FDI review. I mean, going back to the point about the lower thresholds, so they were first reduced in June 2018 for certain types of, or three types of, of business um, relating to quantum technology, computing hardware, um, and military or dual use goods. And then further in relation to very recently in June of this year, to artificial intelligence, advanced materials, and cryptographic authentication. So far as I'm aware, there's only been one case where the government has intervened on the basis of the lowered thresholds. So there, haven't, there hasn't been a proliferation of interventions um, in cases that previously the government would not have been able to look at. And the one case was at the end of last year where the government intervened when a Chinese company, um, Gardner Aerospace, was looking to acquire uh, Impcross and we can speculate, but for whatever reason, um, the, that deal was subsequently abandoned. Um, it may have been because of the intervention and possibly the delays that that may have caused. Um, so that is one, if you like, concrete example of where um, FDI may have had an impact um, on, on inbound investment. 
Sure. So I suppose in practice, I mean, if I'm interpreting that correctly, since the June 23rd amendment or it was enacted, um, there haven't actually been any further reviews or, or subsequent reviews of, as a result of the regulation. C correct. Not under those. Well, in fact, not under the reduced thresholds for three new sectors, nor indeed for the added public interest consideration relating to dealing with a public health emergency. You know, which could, in theory, um, occur when you have a target relate, uh, involved in, let's say, um, vaccine research or the manufacture of PPE. Uh, but at the moment, um, we haven't seen any interventions since June. I mean, perhaps that's not surprising because it is uh, it's very recent uh, and the government wanted to have the tools to be able to intervene um, if if any company involved in COVID response was subject to um, an approach or a takeover, uh, particularly if it was a, a foreign investor. Sure, and I suppose that that's an interesting point to make in that sense. I mean, are you, we haven't had seen any reviews uh, as, as of yet following the regulation, but do you expect perhaps more? Are we, are we expecting to see some in, in the coming months as a result of this regulation? I think that's a very difficult question to answer because it really depends what transactions people and companies are thinking about and whether or not they are going to be deterred by these regulations or they are going to continue with the proposed acquisition in the knowledge that the government could intervene. So I'm sure it will be um, a an important aspect of any potential deal that an acquirer might be thinking of and and certainly you know we at white and case are advising clients um, and thinking about the impact of fdi rules not only in the uk but around the world on on potential transactions it is now one of the top priorities i think or top considerations that companies are thinking about in deal making sure and i think that's a perfect time to pick up on the comparisons uh, between countries i mean how does the uk perhaps compare to european member states um, or other countries further afield i mean is it standing out in terms of the stringency of the actual regulations that have been brought in or would you say it's sort of on par with the, the increasing and rising rec uh, protectionism we're seeing across the globe? I think there are some similarities between the UK and other European countries, um, but there are also some differences. So let's start with the similarities. You know, a common feature of many FDI regimes um, is, is the focus on defence and um, IT security and investments in what's called critical infrastructure. So that might be energy or transportation uh, networks. Um, and, that's a, and that's something that the government has been thinking about and I'm sure we'll come on to in terms of its new proposals for, um, for the review of FDI. Um, one, of the, one of the differences, one of the major differences is, as I've already mentioned, that the UK regime is voluntary. In other countries where the thresholds are met, then there is an obligation to notify. 
other differences relate to the fact that in some countries there are different rules for listed and unlisted companies. Um, I think that's the case in countries like France, Italy and Japan amongst others. Um, and also in, in some countries um, there are different rules or different thresholds depending on the nature of the target business. Whereas in the UK, if you um, go through one of the gateways, one of the public interest considerations, um, that's, that's all that's needed for the government to, to be able to intervene. Sure. So I think that vo voluntary distinction is an important one to make. And I mean, if I interpret that correctly, I suppose the UK has historically been open for investment, very liberal in its approach to foreign investors. It seems like this regulation has given the government the tools, but perhaps not even uh, moved towards being necessarily more protectionist. I, I think so. You're absolutely right that that the UK has historically been um, relatively liberal compared to many other jurisdictions and as you say the government has 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 tried to make clear that it is open for business and open to foreign investment but it also wants to balance that stance with ensuring that it has the the power and the tools to be able to intervene in cases where it considers that the public interest um, and those public interest considerations like national security um, are, are adequately protected. So it's a it's a fine line um, to some extent, particularly when the government is trying to negotiate trade deals in a post-Brexit world. So it, it clearly wants to encourage foreign investment, um, but at the same time is is making is taking a stance that there are certain businesses where there may be scrutiny because it will not be in the UK's best interests um, to have foreign ownership of certain or investment in in certain businesses and I guess the most high profile case clearly is the recent decision on Huawei um, where as you know the government initially allowed Huawei to have a stake, a limited stake in the 5G network or aspects of it, um, but now that has been reversed. Indeed, that was a very high profile case and certainly uh, it'll be interesting to see how things developed in particularly in the telecom sector as, as different vendors vie for this new 5G revolution. Um, and I'd love to pick up perhaps on more of the geopolitical issues later in our discussion, but to, just to touch on the point or sort of to, to to pick your brain in terms of the, the powers the government actually have. As I mentioned earlier, Business Secretary Alex Sharma saying the UK is open for investment, not for exploitation. Have these new uh, reforms to the Enterprise Act and the ability of the government to screen foreign direct investment, does that now give him the power to stick to this pledge? I, th I think it does because there will be many cases where there's foreign investment, where the government either doesn't have the ability to intervene because it doesn't meet the thresholds or doesn't fall within one of those public interest gateways that we mentioned at the outset, or if it does, it decides not to intervene. I think it's also worth mentioning and that listeners are aware that 
historically, when the government has intervened, there have been no cases where it has prevented an acquisition from going ahead. Um, it does have that power when it intervenes, but in all cases where they have found some, some potential um, issue, uh, most typically on defence-related national security grounds, there have been some conditions attached to the to, to the deal. Um, for example, ring fencing of information, ensuring that only security cleared personnel can have access to information. So no, so that is a, if you like, encouraging in in showing that there are, I wouldn't call them workarounds, but there are ways of ensuring that deals can proceed, but with appropriate safeguards that the government um, feels uh, are necessary. Sure, indeed. And I suppose from the perspective of certainly the UK regions outside of London, um, they are always keen to attract investment to sort of level up, in, if we use the terminology of Boris Johnson, his big agenda to spread investment and economic opportunity across the country. What do you think this new regulation means in practice for regional investment promotion agencies and, and, and economic developers outside of the main capital region? Well, that's an interesting question. I don't think it favours or, or disfavours any particular region um, and regional development is, is of course, as you say, an important um, issue um, that the government is trying to address. Because some of the recent changes relate to data, cyber, IT type companies, you know, to the extent that those are concentrated in, in any particular region and, you know, what Cambridge, for example, or there are, you know, parts of London, then maybe they might be more affected. But the, the, the regime doesn't, I don't think, um, particularly impact on one region over other regions. It really depends on the nature of the businesses that are active there and the policies that um, governments, including devolved governments, might take to attract the investment um, in certain sectors um, in those countries. Sure. Yes, indeed. I think it is the same across the board, but it's always important to perhaps discuss that because this is a really big theme in the world of FDI. How do we spread investment? more evenly and we certainly covered that to a large extent in our last magazine issue. Um, I'd like to understand uh, what impact this might have on UK startups. I mean, if you say they, there's a focus, of course, on public interest, but there's been the, this extension towards cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, a, lo a lot of which comes out of younger companies. Do you see any startups being affected by this? I, th I think that's a really interesting question. Um, and for companies involved, for example, in artificial intelligence, face recognition technology, um, th those would fall um, within the, the lower threshold. So not 70 million pounds anymore, but one million pounds. And you know, initially, you know, for a startup to get to that to that level, maybe, you know, may take some time. But to the extent any are successful, it may not be uh, you know, it's not a particularly high threshold once they are, if you like, up and running. And so it could potentially have an impact on startups in the sense that 
certain potential investors might be might be caught um, by by the regime, or in fact everybody might be caught, but um, it may give startups um, cause to think about who their strategic partners might be if they are thinking of um, raising some more capital um, or in a funding round, who who might be who they might want to take money from in case one potential investor is more likely to be subject to review than another. So in that sense, it might restrict the pool of potential capital or or might make the startup think more carefully about who it wants to partner with so as to avoid any um, delay or scrutiny um, on FDI grounds. Sure. So I suppose it, as I interpret that, um, startups will have to be wary in terms of where they're thinking they want to get investment from. Uh, and it may well affect startups as a result of this focus on emerging technologies, which often comes out of these young innovative companies. So that will be an interesting one to watch, certainly, Mark. I, I think so. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't overstate that because there are you know many potential sources of capital, um, many not coming from jurisdictions that might be considered um, more hostile and then more likely to be subject to review. Um, but it, it is certainly an issue that is going to affect startups, but I don't think it's going to lead to um, sources of capital drying up because of, of concerns about FDI review. Um, it's just going to be another factor that startups might have to consider when they're thinking about how they're going to try and grow their businesses. Sure. And the changes that actually took effect on June 23rd um, are seen as sort of an interim uh, step ahead of the National Security and Investment Bill, which I believe is due to come out um, in, in, the, in the next few weeks, as far as I know. I mean, what, what do you expect in terms of the timeline of this, this new bill? And what, what, what do you think the UK government will bring in next in terms of their FDI screening mechanisms? Well, the, the bill is something that we have been waiting for for quite a while. Um, there was a consultation, a white paper, and uh, some time ago, and we are waiting for the government to introduce the bill. As you say, um, it could be in the next few weeks. Um, that's that. That's what we've heard, but it seems to be slipping every now and then. Um, it's going to widen the the, the scope of of the review or the, or the cases that could be subject to, um, to scrutiny um, under, under FDI rules. Um, it's also going to, or the intention um, is that FDI will no longer, the review um, will no longer be looked at by the Competition and Markets Authority, um, but probably by, um, by Bayes, the business department. Um, and there are also uh, proposals or what the government suggested is that under the new rules, um, it would expect around 200 cases a year to be uh, potentially subject to review. A hundred of those might be subject to detail, detailed review and 50 might be subject to some sort of uh, remedy or condition of the type that I mentioned earlier. And that's going to be a massive increase when we contrast it to the existing position where 
under the Enterprise Act, there have been, you know, on average, let's say, you know, around one, one case a year. So it does appear that the government thinks there will be many more cases that will be subject to review. Um, and, you know, we need to s wait to see the bill to see exactly what those might be, but there might be specific reference to um, critical infrastructure, um, energy, uh, telecoms, etc. Uh, but it is something that we're all waiting for um, with bated breath, and that certainly um, is likely to have um, a big impact on um, on deal making. Well, I mean that would be a phenomenal increase from one case a year to to some two hundred. I wonder whether this uh, transfer of authority, let's say, from the Competition and Markets Authority to, as you mentioned, Bayes, the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. Is, is that a reason perhaps why we will see an increased number of cases being reviewed? Uh, or, or is it something more towards um, the government moving in a direction where it is more respective and uh, cautious in terms of the deals they allow to happen in the UK? I think it's part of the the, the, the wider global trend of um, greater FDI scrutiny and um, governments aware that ownership of certain types of business could have adverse national security or typically national security implications. Um, so I don't think it's it's moving the review from from one organisation to another. That, that that will be driving that. I think it's a combination of uh, greater um, awareness, if you like, and scrutiny of foreign direct investment generally, um, and and also an expansion of the situations in which um, reviews might be uh, might be triggered. Indeed, and I suppose that leads perfectly on to the discussion we were going to have earlier in our conversation about geopolitical developments and certainly the UK is in perhaps a, a unique position of dealing with coronavirus uncertainty alongside the uncertainty over Brexit. What will the future relationship be between the UK and the European Union? Do you see any conflict between the UK's increased FDI scrutiny and certain geopolitical developments like Brexit and perhaps, as you mentioned, uh, the Huawei and, and, and China more broadly? I think I think a distinction needs to be drawn between investment from from the EU and other you know, so-called Western countries and and those from other jurisdictions. And one of the one of the phrases used in the in the white paper relating to the to the new bill, uh, you know, talks about hostile actors and hostile states. So I think that regardless of Brexit, there would have been um, this tightening up of of FDI um, rules. Uh, but I think, as I say, that a distinction needs to be made between um, you know, investors from from the from the EU um, and the US, for example, and, and other places, um, all of which are are subject to to FDI review. And you, you may you may recall that I think it was it was last year. Um, there were some U.S. Um, and Canadian uh, purchasers who who 
were subject to, uh, or there was talk about intervention in relation, for example, to Advent's acquisition of um, of Cobham, um, and there was also talk about intervention in the in the case of the the takeover of um, the satellite operator in Marsat. Um, so you're right that the two the two things have come together at the same time, but I don't think that one is driving the other in terms of um, Brexit and the uh, tightening up of FDI rules. Indeed, and certainly we've seen number, a number of European countries, uh, Germany, Italy, as, as my colleague covered in a previous episode in this, in this series, who have been tightening their regulations. So I suppose it's, it's not the UK out on its own in terms of its increased uh, FDI scrutiny. This is a global trend we are witnessing. Correct. That I, think, I think that's ab absolutely right. And so, you know, that's why the government says that the UK is open for business. Um, and you know, it is just like other countries when they are, you know, reviewing, introducing, tightening up um, FDI controls. And I suppose as a final question to any investors listening into this, I wonder what advice you would give to them or advice you've been giving to some of your clients when they're prospecting uh, foreign investment opportunities in the UK. I think, I think that's a really good question and it is something that we are um, thinking about and being asked by clients uh, more and more. I think, I think the, two, the two issues um, that the clients should be aware of um, are, first of all, think ahead, plan, plan with sufficient time um, so that you understand um, the, the FDI rules and make sure that you can build that into any any strategy and and the second one is don't underestimate the political nature um, of of FDR review and therefore it would be sensible to you know to have a PR and a government relations strategy um, so that you can get your message out there and try and engage with government I think it would be much better for companies to be proactive and with governments to explain um, what they're doing, why they're doing, rather than be reactive and and have to deal with questions um, and investigations. So, you know, they shouldn't be they shouldn't be shy about it. They should be prepared um, and ready to engage with with governments to uh, to explain their position. And for many clients, um, the the fact that some parties might be um, put off by the potential for scrutiny, maybe opportunities for other clients. So, um, you know, for, for some, um, there may be a net benefit, if you like, um, because the pool of potential purchasers for certain assets may be reduced or, or some potential purchasers may not be willing to go through um, an FDI review. So that could create opportunities um, for other clients and other investors. I think that's a perfect positive note to end on. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark. We will certainly be keeping our eyes fixed on what happens with all things foreign investment into the UK and other countries as FDI rules continue to tighten around the globe. If you've enjoyed this episode, go ahead and follow us on iTunes, Acast or Spotify and subscribe so you can access more episodes in the future. 
You can also go to fdiintelligence.com for data-driven analysis and deep dives into the world of foreign investment and economic development. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Thank you.